Well, the reading this evening is Psalm 65. This is a wonderful psalm. It's a thanksgiving psalm. The specific occasion is the fruitful harvest. And it's set in the confidence of God's faithfulness to his promises. So we read Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you atoned our transgressions. Blessed is the man you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things in your house and of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the tumult of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders, Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers And bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty. And your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks. And the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a great psalm. And uh, what I would like to do um, somewhat more briefly tonight, I know you've heard that before, it doesn't always materialise, but it will. It's been a busy day and uh, lots of you have been working hard in all the events that have taken place at the school uh, today. So here it is. It's, uh, it's Harvest Praise or a psalm for the harvest written for us, inspired by God's holy word, his spirit breathing life through this psalm. Try to get, first of all, um, the immediate context, and it's this. If you could picture an athlete on the blocks, waiting for the gun to be fired, poised with every sinew, ready to burst from the blocks. This is this type of psalm. It's a pent-up psalm. Or, uh, for those of you who've been uh, watching the World Cup rugby, you see these teams arrayed, and they stand there with the anthems. And often you find they're quite emotional, singing these patriotic uh, national songs and so forth uh, of their nation, being proud to represent a nation. You see them there, ready to go as if they're ready to take on the whole world. Well, this psalm is a bit like that. 
And, and it's not just something casual, you know, I'm just here and nothing else to do. I'm here for a purpose. And it, it, it has this idea of breathing anticipation and life. So the context, of course, is God's bounty, God's faithfulness. And that's the theme of all our songs and, and the hymns here this evening. So harvest is a preparation for greater blessing and deeper joy. Now, let, I want the psalm to speak for itself. So, Psalm 65. Just uh, keep it open in front of you. I think we'll only have about one cross-reference, so it'll be good just to follow the psalm as it unfolds. That's the easiest way. So, I'd like it to uh, speak for itself. And you'll see verses 3 to 5 immediately speaking about our need of a saviour. One of the lovely things about hearing the gospel, first of all, is there's bad news and good news. We've sinned. Here's a saviour. Enter the Lord Jesus. And from time to time, we know about this experience. Look at verse 3. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose to bring near into your courts. Well, here we are tonight. He's drawn us together. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Lovely language, isn't it? And in a way, we, we enter into that. He's our saviour. And then in verses 6 and 8, you see that he's our creator. Indeed, he's the sovereign creator. You see uh, in verse 6, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waters. Think of these mighty tsunamis. If you weren't humbled by that terrible tsunami that engulfed uh, parts of, of Japan, and think the Lord could restrain that with the word of his voice. This is the Sovereign Lord, the Creator. And then verses 9 to 13, yes, but he's the one who also sustains, provides, providentially keeps. And so in verses 9 to 13, this wonderful language, you may well say, look what man has done, look at the... The, the, the fallout of the ecology and arid places which were once fertile. And you care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water and so on. You drench its furrows. You crown the year with your bounty and so on. Beautiful language. He sustains creation. He's the sustaining Lord. So those are the three areas that, that we're going to explore. But... Let's start at the beginning. Praise awaits you. Praise awaits you. It's interesting. The, the Hebrew is very uncertain. Uh, but the, it has this idea of waiting, longing, expecting, anticipating. There may be periods of weariness. I was talking to Paddy before the service and asking, how is Claire? Soon, perhaps this week. Maybe to be delivered of a baby. And it's a long wait. My comment to him was, aren't you glad you're a man and not a woman? I mean, it's a tough thing. But this idea of waiting, waiting, expecting, longing, anticipating. So, Psalm 65 and verse 1, praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. And there is a corporate dimension there. Here we are, collectively in our worship. The commentators say interesting things. It's, it's to God belongs silence and prayer. 
And the church, of course, in the language of the Bible, is Zion, the people of God. And there's this idea of solemn worship, of ceaseless gratitude, and with that, spontaneous praise. Now, all of this should merge together as the people of God come in worship, not only at harvest. Now, Psalm 65 then. Let's try to uh, get into the spirit of this very quickly. There, there are times to be silent, times to be reflective, to be reverential, but also the psalm explodes with praise. And somehow, having all these together in one place often is difficult. So the outline of the psalm, let's give it very quickly. First of all, God is forgiving. That's why we need a saviour. God is forgiving. And verses 5 to 8, you'll see that he is still creating. He's not just creator, past tense, over to you. Now you look after it. Like you move into a house, the garden's in the tip. You have to create it and you have to sustain it. No. He's creating. God is working. And what a blessing that God is caring. He's, though he's the sovereign Lord, he is caring. Let's look at these very quickly. God is forgiving. He's a pardoning God. Praise is not merely verbal. It isn't just songs we enjoy. It is that, of course. But it's much more than that. It's about the heart. It's about the mind. And it's about the will. Come to the psalm again. Look, look in these opening verses. Praise waits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? So it's not only about singing hymns. It's not only about listening to a sermon. But it is renewing vows. One of the lovely things which I've always done, and I hope I always will do at weddings, is to say to people who are privileged to be married, this is a wonderful opportunity to renew your covenant, your marriage vows. So easy to grow apart in the same house. And it's easy to grow apart in the same house of God. Actually, to be here in spirit, but to be somewhere else in mind. Praise and promise, vows that are due to a faithful God. Just one cross-reference that we have, and uh, it's not meant to put you off making vows. It's just, it's a sort of a... A word of caution when you do. Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5. And just a reminder, and perhaps at harvest, this, is a, this may well be timely. So, as part of God who is forgiving, yes, he knows our weaknesses, he knows we mean well. And nevertheless, he says, now, before you make a promise, I want a cooling off period. I want you to think. I want you to stand back. Don't do it in the heat of the moment. Ecclesiastes 5. And this isn't a reason for not coming to the house of God, but nevertheless, here it is. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. 
as dream comes when there are many cares so speech of a fool where there are many words and yet vows are to be fulfilled vows are to be fulfilled they are to be made and where we fail we are to come back to God why? because he's forgiving he is a pardoning God he's full of grace and here's an interesting thing in verse 4. Blessed are those you choose who bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. And suddenly the people of God become sort of a, a people who are priests. It's a priestly role. Do you see that? In your holy temple, bringing good things. Sacrifice of praise, prayers, renewing vows, asking forgiveness where we have failed. Priestly role, pardon that is received, fellowship that is restored, blessings that are enjoyed. God is still forgiving his people. Look secondly, very quickly, God is creating and he's a powerful God. Now notice the three tenses. Just look at the psalm. Say it for yourself. Verse 5. In the present, there you have it. Look, you answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness. Present tense. You answer us, O God, our Saviour. The hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest sea. Now, some of you might say, no, God doesn't answer my prayer. Actually, he does. He may say no. What you really mean is, he has answered your prayer, not in the way that you wanted. That's the rub often, isn't it? He is not a genie in the lamp. Yahweh is not a local deity that we can somehow manipulate to do what we want him to do. So the first tense, he's present. Look at verse 6 and 7. Do you see that there's the past, looking back. Who formed the mountains by your power, having armed, your strength, who armed yourself with, with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and... The tumult of the nations. When we think of where we are tonight, and sometimes it's almost too much when we look at our televisions sets, just to see the events nationally. He's a creating God. Past, present, and verse 8, future. Those living far away fear you wonders. When morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth. In the future, you're looking for what? Songs of joy. In a fallen world, fractured and broken and inconsistent, he calls forth songs of joy. He's a personal saviour. And, and he's the God of nature and the God of the nations. The Lord who is redeeming and creating. I hope that this verse would be a settled conviction for you as you read um, in verse 7, who still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the tumult of the nations. Think of the tumult, the unrest that there is in many parts of the world. Sometimes it's humbling just to think how courageous some people could be. In our church meeting, we highlighted the need of, of this uh, uh, Iranian pastor 
who is about to be hung for uh, blasphemy, for becoming a Christian. And uh, the interview on, on the radio, um, the former Bishop of Rochester, I think it is, uh, Ali Desai, I think his, his name is, and he was asked, do you think for the sake of his children he should, he should recant? And uh, his reply was, um, I have been in that situation many times. And this is how God works in people's lives. We know little about that. Now that shouldn't make us feel guilty. But it should make us accountable. The tumult of the nations. God is in control. Restraining and creating. And the believer's response is an interesting one. You see, look, the two dimensions which often are polarized come together. Those living far away fear your wonders. There's, there's, there's the fear of the Lord. And yet, with that fear, songs of joy. Not an either or, but they dovetail together. Isn't that a lovely picture? So, for the believer, the believer's response is one of fear and joy. Sometimes some parts of the church emphasize so much the fear of the Lord. And others emphasize this idea of joy and spontaneity. But obviously it's both. And there you have it there. You call forth songs of joy to people who fear you. Uh, we're going to take a little time out to, to see and listen to this lovely piece that speaks about creation uh, by uh, John Rutter and it's going to come before you now. Just enjoy this in the context of verse 8.
you were going to clap for a moment. It's good, isn't it? Finally, God is caring. Verses 9 to 13. The God who saves, the God who forgives, the God who sustains. And notice the deliberate repetition of you in verses 9 to 11. Just, I'll emphasize it in a reading. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain for so you have ordained it. You soften, you crown, and so on and so forth. The emphasis is there. This is God's caring, God's providing, God's goodness. And it is utterly crass and stupid to leave God out of creation. Of course, many people do. And they become, not intentionally, but by default, oftentimes rather praiseless. People tend to complain so much and praise so little. C.S. Lewis called them cranks and malcontents. Or people might become soulless and aimless. And what a contrast in verse 13. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys and mantles with grain, they shout for joy and sing. Even if the creative order of people are like that, creation isn't. It bursts forth with praise, spontaneous praise. Grasslands, hills, meadows, even the furrows and the ridges. Beautiful language. Creation rejoicing because God is good. The goodness of God. Now the real issue then is not how can we praise the Lord to talk about style and substance and that sort of thing. No, how can we not praise him? In whatever way is right for us, how can we not praise him? And that's the whole point of the, of the, the psalm. If we were to keep going from uh, uh, the Psalm 65 and go on to 66, look, there it is. Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his praise. Make his praise glorious. People of God, do that. Make his praise glorious. And I've chosen deliberately some of these uh, uh, quite spontaneous and um, praiseful uh, songs that we're going to sing in a moment. Make them glorious. Burst into spontaneous praise. God is good. God is good to his people. And at harvest, it's a, it's a benchmark. Another year. Another year in our journey through life. I'd suggest to you, take an inventory. Um, Sue, this morning, shared her experience, didn't she, about keeping a diary. An inventory of the many harvests, spiritual, material, many others, in your life. And make this your special day that consciously to praise more and complain less. Sometimes it's just a bad habit, nothing more. doesn't mean you're a bad person, just part of you. This is praise and thanksgiving, joining with all nature, praising the Lord, fervent praise. So we end as we began. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. And as part of our praise, we renew our vows.
we come to him again and enjoy his grace.